Sometimes when we talk about well-being or being well, sometimes we can almost narrow that focus down to just getting on with life, just getting on with everyday life, being able to get through it and being able to go to work, get home, manage whatever has to be managed at home. But that word potential, it almost allows us to aspire to something else. Hello and welcome to another episode of HSE Talk in Health and Wellbeing. And today we're talking about positive mental health and how to protect and improve your mental health. And today my guests are two HSE Health Promotion Officers, Olive Fanning, Senior Health Promotion Officer based in Carlow, and Anne-Marie Murphy, Health Promotion Officer based in Roscommon. So thank you very much for coming in, guys. Thanks, Virgil. Thanks, Virgil. Have you been uh, tuning into the podcast at all? For sure. For sure. sure. <laughs> you have to say that now that you're here. <laughs> I know. I think they're really good, Virgil. I think it's the relational bit of it. You know, it's really important and things that are important for people. Yeah. That's a good way to introduce our topic today. So we're talking about positive mental health and the key piece we're talking about is the Mind and Your Wellbeing program. And both of you guys are experienced of delivering this program. Do you want to tell us a bit about it, Amory? Do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Mind and Your Wellbeing program, it's a one day program that's offered. It was developed back in 2016. It's written for anybody really in the general public at the moment. It's focused on the delivery to HSC staff. And the purpose of the program is really to promote positive mental health and well-being. So it's focused on how we can actually develop our own set of skills to promote our own well-being, how to recognize what's going on in our own life and how we can support things to get better as well. And I suppose the day itself, it's a full day workshop. It's a face to face program and really the focus on giving people time out of work to reflect on themselves, to reflect on what's going well in their own life and if things aren't going well, how they can improve that. And I suppose a lot of the participants would say what they really value about it is the fact that they get time to actually reflect on themselves. And even as they come in the door, the ask is very much for them to leave their employee hat, to leave their parent hat at the door and just to be present for themselves as a human being and looking at just what's going on for them. So the task really for them for the day is literally just to show up for themselves and to let that be the focus. A bit of reflection space. A bit of reflection space. And I suppose even the way the day is ran, Fergal, it's very much, I suppose, OK, there's the content of the programme, but also there is participants' well-being is being minded as well during the day. So even the way that I suppose the programme has been developed, it's a quite steady pace during the day. There is attention to the well-being of the participants, even from a point of view of whether it's the venue, how the day is paced, the opportunities to develop and try out skills the opportunity to participate or as much or as little as they feel happy in doing so, which is really important as well. Even, you know, when people come in, the notion that the phones are left on silent and to leave the, the to-do list behind, all of those things. And an opportunity as well during the day to take a lot of small breaks. I suppose the day is punctuated with lots of different things. So they're not just learning about it and hearing about it. They're getting an opportunity to experience it from a point of view of how they're being looked after on the day as well. Okay. So, th so they're experiencing it as well. So Olive, what's your experience of delivering it? Yeah, as I'm hearing Anne-Marie kind of speak, I think there's the bit around the space for people. I think a lot of time in people's lives at the moment, there isn't much space. So the time not only to actually value themselves, that reflection piece and the skill development part is quite important for themselves so they can develop things that they can pull on. Because a lot of the time within our lives, when things go wrong, we might have those resources. So there's the bits about being able to bring it back, reflect for themselves and knowing that it's not just them, because when they're in a group situation, they connect with others. It normalizes things for people. It's like, oh, I never thought of that or God, that's something I can do. 
And I think what's often stands out for me in relation to minding your well-being as well is that it is an evidence-based program because sometimes around minding our well-being, it can be sometimes seen as a softer topic or, you know, oh, that's things that we can do. But this is like an evidence-based program. It's based on a lot of stuff around positive psychology and Martin Seligman in Pennsylvania University. And I think that actually really supports people when we start bringing in evidence. It's not just that, oh, we can willy nilly do this. It's like we do this because there's a reason we build on certain things. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the programme. But I think that's really important that there's a reason that these things are linked. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. There is so many links in it. And, and going back to Seligman, yeah. I mean, like when you listen to him, he gave a mm. lecture in Trinity a couple of years ago mm. and... I was just taken aback by the common sense of what he says. We know it, but we don't really know it and we're not paying attention to it. And even a lot of the things that we actually discuss on the day and go through on the day, they're nearly so simple that it's almost like, gosh, there's, for lots of people in the room, there's almost like an aha moment, you know, because they're so simple that we don't often don't even discuss them or don't give them, I suppose, the weight or the attention that they need. But I suppose because they're simple doesn't mean that they're necessarily easy to actually incorporate into our lives. Yeah. And I suppose that's what we try and sort of focus on during the day. So it's about hearing what we can do. And then it's about actually making a plan for ourselves as an individual or as, as a participant on the day. And look at, right, well, where do I go from from here? What am I good at? What am I managing well with regard to my well-being at the moment? And what are the areas then that I can work on? So the Mind and Your Wellbeing programme as well has been delivered face to face. We have a video series online, which you can access through yourmentalhealth.ie or on our own HSC Health and Wellbeing YouTube channel. And we have the support booklet. We might talk about that yep. in a minute. But so anybody can access this material. Isn't that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's five videos. So the first one looks at even our language around well-being, mental health. Isn't language such an issue here? Like when it comes to this territory, Huge. Like there's people using terms interchangeably, like we want to be thriving, we want to be resilient, your mental mm. well-being, your people's hang ups around mental health. And do you come across the language as a barrier? The barrier, what I find on the course, while it can be a barrier, I think it's really good to tease it out oh, because right, yeah. I think there's the bit of what you mean by well-being and what I mean or Anne-Marie is completely different. And that can actually be reassuring to people. It's like, oh, so that's what well-being is. And then they get a chance to sit back in and think about it. So I think the mental health word, it used to be linked quite a lot with well-being and that can change a little bit for people. But I think it's something around having the conversation and even reflecting on it. Go back to Anne-Marie's reflection point, you're reflecting on the words you're using. Yeah. How would you bring in the, the term well-being, Anne-Marie? Well, I suppose just even on the day, it would be something that we would start to look at at the start of the programme through an exercise basically where we have images on the floor, photographs, individuals are asked just to sit, look at the images and see which of the images says well-being to them. And even as we hear the feedback from the, around the room, you're getting a sense that well-being means different things to different people. And there's sort of a sense of, of a collective. While there is a definition that I'm happy to bring us through here now, certainly on the day, there's that sense of, wow, this could mean lots of different things. And there's, it's, there's quite a lot of components to it so as well. So you're getting people to ground it in their own... Absolutely. Bring it back to themselves, make it relatable to themselves. And that's the most important thing, because obviously, if you want them to go away with learnings from the day, it's got to be relatable for the individuals on the day. And what kind of definition then would you give that you think is good for what this programme is trying to do, be it through the videos, be it through the booklet or be it through the face to face? OK, so there's one actually that I have here and it is adapted from the World Health Organization. And well-being is present when a person realises their potential is resilient in dealing with the normal stresses of life 
takes care of their physical well-being and has a sense of purpose, connection and belonging to the wider world. It's a fluid way of being and needs nurturing throughout life. Well, there's an awful lot there. An awful lot. Where do you start, hey? Yeah. What word jumps out to you, Emery? Potential, I suppose, is a word to start with, because I think sometimes when we talk about well-being or being well, sometimes we can almost narrow that focus down to being a sense of just getting on with life, just getting on with everyday life, being able to get through it and being able to go to work, get home, manage whatever has to be managed at home. But that word potential, it almost allows us to aspire to something else. There's almost sort of an encouragement there to push ourselves and to promote ourselves and to try new things. And I suppose it reminds us as well, I think, that there is potential in all of us. So I think it's a really hopeful word in the middle of the definition. It's more than just the humdrum of every day. There's more to be aspired to. And that's I think that's really positive. I like the whole sense of purpose, connection and belonging to a wider community. I think that brings back, I suppose, the very human element that's in us all. That need to connect, that we're social beings, that anything is possible when we come together as a community and the intention is behind it. We have a common intention and that sense of belonging is hugely important. And I suppose that's often something that people within the group flag up, particularly when we deliver the program. I remember post-COVID, that sense of God, where do I fit in? Where do I connect? How can I connect back in with my community? Or do I have a sense of belonging? And particularly in a time where people are incredibly busy. And maybe our relationships that we're having are very fleeting rather than quality. I suppose that's the case at work as well, isn't it? Like, Mm. you know, that we're on Zoom meetings, maybe more than face to face meetings. And there's been eroding of that social connection. And we haven't been able to nurture it during COVID. So how do we replenish? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even by having Mind and Your Wellbeing as a face to face program, people in a room together and having an opportunity to really listen to what everybody else is saying. One that encourages us to learn, but also there's that sort of sense of connecting with people. And even again, back to running the training program, sometimes it might be staff from the same department and other other times it might be staff from within the HSE who don't know each other at all. But it's that opportunity to actually connect with people on a human level. Okay, so again, leaving the work behind, leaving, you know, the, the, the families behind, whatever. But it's actually like, what, you know, what do we have in common, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's a book we love whether it's a passion about something, but there's an opportunity to connect. And I think throughout the day, that actually really adds to the whole positivity vibe that's created during the day, because people actually have an opportunity to have those shared experiences. And if our relationships are to flourish and to thrive, we need shared experiences. And being in a room together and working even through the program, there's an opportunity for that as well. Yeah. So there's so many things you're touching on there and you're using some of the words out of the definition and using some of the words like thrive and the sense of purpose and the connection. Where does it hit you, Olive? Yeah, I was just as I was listening to Anne-Marie, one of the bits I agree with you about the hope. I think the purpose and that link to the hope bit is really important. But The bit that jumps out for me this morning, because it could be different tomorrow morning, is the fluidness of it. I think like our well-being, it sometimes can be seen as a fixed, oh, like, yeah, I have well-being. Actually, it's a very fluid concept so that we're actually moving. How is my well-being today? How am I today? Because if we don't actually check in with ourselves, actually, we don't know how we actually are. And a lot of that is that actually, yeah, I'm okay right now and I have that ability to adapt to what is going on in my life. Because the other bit around the coping, what's normal? 
What's yeah, normal? The normal stresses of life <laughs> that we do have to accept the stress is a yeah. part of life. If I asked on the street there, what's normal? Like right. your stresses are very different to mine. So I think there's and I'm aware of the action of kind of coming back in and where I get a bit of a chance to. Oh, so what's normal for me right now? And how am I doing? Do you know? So there's that bit of coming back in for all of us in our lives. When do we take that kind of two minute break to check how we are? Checking that out with others as well. It seems you reminded me of what you just said a few minutes ago about people thinking this is soft. Mm-hmm. And that's an enemy, isn't it? And I want to bring us into the self-care focus now, because like if you don't take that time, if you're not reflecting, if you're not trying to do those simple things that you might think are fluffy, but are really central, then you're not paying attention to your self-care. Is that it? Yeah, like the self-care element is one of the central parts of minding your well-being. And I remember being on the T for T for this. And it was very much around when we ask people when they hear the word self-care, people might say, you know, going for a walk or eating well. But I think one of the things and you'll see this if you tap into the videos and stuff as well, is that self-care is actually broken down into actually 10 different components and that a lot of the time we might pull from certain ones. So it can be being active. It can be about managing stress, but it can be things about like asking for help, saying no, having good structure in our lives. The structure one jumped out at me now because I thought <laughs> there's one that I lost mm. complete. It was all over the shop there in yeah. COVID. Like I didn't appreciate how healthy it was getting mm. up, having a routine in the morning getting yeah. kids to school, whatever, getting into work, yeah. focus, 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 mm. get mm. out yeah. and t- switch off, switch mm. back on to something else. And yeah. it was like, it was all messed up. Absolutely. Like, I had to learn to work from home and then your well-being, you know, it was like, what's that? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, some people really don't like structure. So this is why it's quite individual. Like I, I was thinking even around the sleep one in particular around structure they were talking about, you know, the kids might have a bedtime. But as adults, do we have bedtime? Like what's our routine about our sleep or do we eat? Those kind of things that can be really important for us. Like do we get out for a walk? Where's our built in well-being? Because the key around self-care is that deliberate action of doing things. And it's not always easy. It sounds easy. I think that uh, I was just <laughs> yeah. chatting to Anne-Marie yeah. the other day about this. Mm. And I said, oh, yeah, these are all easy things mm. that we should be doing. And she was like, well, you're missing the point here. Mm. 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 Yeah, it is. It's that thing that might sort of see simple, but the challenge is actually doing them on the regular basis. And that's, as you were saying, Olive, there, the idea that we're doing them deliberately, but it's doing them deliberately regularly. It's having them as part of our habits. It's almost like we're ingrained that we brush our teeth in the morning, but what else can we do? How can we have some part of the day that we're actually focusing? And it might just be two, three, five minutes, whatever it is, but it's actually developing those habits and developing those routines. It's like you're trying to tick boxes for yourself rather than, you know, obviously sometimes we're kind of caught into ticking boxes at work, ticking boxes at home, ticking boxes for kids. I think I'd be careful even around the whole ticking boxes thing, because I suppose when we think about self-care, the last thing we wanted to do is to be another thing that we have to do, that we have to get our 30 minutes of physical activity five times a week. I suppose to notice with the self-care, what's the intent behind it? Why are we really doing it? Okay, is it just to get it done? Or is it because this is really important stuff and because we're worth it? So to notice why we're doing it, I think is really important as well. I remember one of our participants in one of the courses actually said at the end of the self-care session, saying, God, I think I'm getting this. The lady had a back injury herself. She attended physio for a long number of years and her physio was always saying to her, focus on the core, strengthen the core and everything else gets supported. And she says, that's what the self-care is. It's like the self-care is the core and all the other bits can hang around it. And if the self-care is not attended to, as simple and all as it is, 
then everything else, the whole structure starts to get weak. Yeah. So we're not as able to do what we might be able to do, our flexibility and moving from whatever is, you know. But I think it's just that sense that things are not strengthened in the core. And I think that's really important, Amri, but it's the belief that it actually makes a difference. The small things make a difference. I think it's really important that self-belief. So we could be, oh, yeah, should, should I could do those. But if I start doing them and I feel they make a difference in my life, that bit can gather traction. I think Tony Bates talks about motivation preceding activation. Sometimes we actually nearly have to try something and gather that bit of traction with it so that we can actually, oh, yeah, actually, I do feel better. Like we were talking this morning about even the importance of getting out for a bit of air, of walking. And if we can, it's a beautiful day at the moment. <laughs> but the benefit of that for ourselves is huge. So we have to be open to taking these tonics and then acknowledging. And even if you don't feel like doing it, to actually do it anyway, just as Olive was referring to there. So that notion that the motivation often comes when we actually have done it. So the benefit you're feeling afterwards. So to try not to overthink it, keep it black and white and just set it in your plan to do whatever it is you decide to do and just say, right, that's yeah. it. And another thing I think about self-care as well, sometimes people feel, particularly if you're in the area of sort of caring for other people a lot, that self-care is seen as almost something that's selfish. You know, and I suppose that's really important to move away from that sort of mindset around it, because it's a little bit and we refer to it in the program. It's a little bit about putting on your own oxygen mask first, the very same as we're told when we, we take our flights. So that notion that if you're ultimately not going to be well, then what you have to bring to another situation or another relationship is not going to be very positive. So that notion of it's not selfish. In fact, it's actually it's a real requirement for you to be well, because that's what we're bringing to the situations and relationships that we're meeting along the way. And do you find in talking to health service staff that a lot of people in the health service may be caring or come in because of a caring attitude or approach? Do you find that there's too much caring for others? Do you find you have to rebalance? Is that a challenge? I think it's a realisation, actually, when we talk about it is like, oh, so actually, where am I in it? Yeah. And like often ourselves are central in that so that even if we can actually bring ourselves back in and realise actually including ourselves in our lives, which sounds kind of mad when we're living our lives. But it's like, oh, so, yes, I do it for others. But do I ever think of me? So, yeah, I think it's huge in the caring profession in general is that bit of coming back. It's just like you were saying, if you don't nurture yourself, you can't nurture others. And, yeah. and often during the day, you actually do almost get a sense that for some people, the penny drops. So it's like they're turning up to the day because maybe their line manager is sent in the department on or whatever. And they're there. And it's like as the day unfolds, it's like, wow, gosh. This is how little attention I'm given to myself and this is why my life is the way it is or whatever. But there's definitely a notion that, the, the, you know, that the penny drops as the day goes on. One of the things that I love about the self-care piece, you know, you mentioned all the things that are in the self-care images on the video and in the booklets and in the program. But the interests and hobbies, you mm -hmm. know, and, and given, yeah. I suppose, a bit of credence or credibility to them. One of the ladies in our office, you know, she's squash mad. Mm -hmm. She comes in and she always has like, oh, I won a game last night or I'm trying to finish barely because I had to get to a game. It's like it's just so it's her thing, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I always love to hear the little the bullet points from her little highlights, mm -hmm. because every time I hear it, I go, well, that's so, you know, that's where you lose yourself. And she gets, you know, she gets um, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You lose yourself mm. in it. And it's not always physical activity. You know, for some people, it might be uh, photography or, you know, singing. whatever. Singing. Yeah. 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 There's one that I'm involved in. So what do you find when you're talking to people through that? Do they see the linkages there or do you think they're nurturing that area enough? 
as adults, like a lot of time, people talk about all oh, the hobbies we used to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the time it's childish like, hobby. Yeah kind of like dismissing it again yeah. like so this is like actually showing the evidence of having somewhere where you find flow so that could be anything for people but it, it can be like whether it's dance whether it's cooking whether it's gardening and gardening is a big one isn't it Huge. like there's so many people Huge. i was I, you know i wasn't a gardener but like uh, trying to do a bit more but looking around and seeing how people lean into their garden as their refuge yeah and i often think sometimes we think of it as a doing action yeah. with the hobbies but thinking of you with the squash i'm just thinking like local communities can be huge for people around their hobbies and interests like i'm thinking their local ga club or their local community games or whatever and because each of these then are connected like so sometimes if we have an interest or we have a hobby or we've something that we are getting fulfillment or some of the positive psychology words is like how we flow and things like that but it's noticing that with that it also links into connection. One of the sections on one of the videos is all about our relationships. And that's relationship with ourself, relationship with others. And as Anne-Marie said earlier, that relationship in our community. So sometimes our interests and our hobbies are ticking lots of boxes for us and are increasing our energy and our potential to do more. I'm smiling as I think about it because my husband's family are big ga heads. Yeah, yeah. And just from birth to the grave it's like the matches on the pitch the whole community is just linked in with that i'm not from a ga family sometimes you can't see the thing until you're not that thing when you're outside it i'd be be fairly interested in yeah. and heavily mm. involved locally as a volunteer yeah. when i go down the country to visit yeah. in-laws like i think they're on a different level altogether like yeah. they're just like everybody, the grannies and the aunts and everybody knows all the players and it's just a different level of engagement. But they're all getting, they're all, as you said, they're getting nourished out of that engagement. I think as well, you know, with the interest in hobbies, it's almost that thing that helps us to stay in love with life itself. You know, because so much of what we do is routine and can often be mundane and often yeah. boring and they just have to be done as well. But it's often those interests and hobbies that can actually almost keep people that sense of just being in love with life, that sense of hope, that sense of something to look forward to. And we all need that because that just enhances our emotions, it enhances our positive emotions and enhances our well-being ultimately as well. I think as well as parents, going back to your question at the start, I think or as adults, certainly as parents, a lot of energy goes into supporting the activities of children and making sure that they're involved in different activities and all the rest. And in that, we can often lose what are our activities. And again, I think that the programme does provide that opportunity to reflect and to start to say, right, OK, maybe what used I like to do? What was I passionate about? What made me smile when I was younger? What were the games I loved to play? And is there a way of getting back into that again? So it's a really useful one, I think, there when we're thinking about self-care. You reminded me about somebody I sat down beside in a hospital canteen and they were telling me, I mentioned something about staff health and wellbeing. She was talking about women in her workplace and she's managing a team of women. And she said they become mothers and before you know it, they become carers. She was saying that some of the women want to be promoted in work, but they want to be full on leaning in at home as a parent, do more of the caring of their children and also then all of a sudden to find yourself maybe in your mid-40s or mid-50s and you might have to care for a parent. I just thought, oh my God, that was just an interesting trajectory of over-caring mm -hmm. nearly. Yeah. And you become spent along the way or some, you know, you don't even realise you're burnt out. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting take. Yeah, no, that's very true. And again, if we think about the HSE staff, so if they're parents, they're maybe supporting their own parents and then at work, they're doing a lot of caring as well. So when you think of what their average day looks like, the potential for their own well getting really diminished is huge. 
So a real need, I suppose, for focusing back on their own well-being and self-care is really, really important. Okay, so I want to jump into another piece in here around thoughts and understanding your thoughts, because I think this is another big meaty piece. Yeah. A lot of positive psychology and psychologists will refer nearly talk about this first as like, you know, where are you getting caught up in yourself? You're getting caught up in your head. Yeah. What do you tell people about that? Yeah, the thinking one, I think it's huge because as we say, like our thoughts impact on how we're feeling, our behavior and our actions. So this is all again about how it's linked up. So I think thinking is like some of the facts in relation to thinking. I'm not a neuroscientist by any manner of means, but I think in relation to the amount of thoughts that we actually have a day and the impact of those. When we look at this on the day and in the videos, it talks about the volume of thoughts and how we might challenge those, because lots of times we might fall into what they're called thinking traps and what they are is like shortcuts that we might have. So some of those might be like catastrophizing or mind reading, and we might do certain thinking traps in certain places in our lives. And we might be more mind readers at home or we minimize things. So it's again, when we bring in thinking into the training and on the videos, it is in relation to them just getting a chance to reflect on their 70,000 thoughts a day. And that 95% of those are the same as the day before. So if we're always worrying about something or we're noticing that that's that negative bias coming in, which we talk about quite a bit, it's like, oh, so could I do something about that? So there's steps that we actually highlight within the training that can be really like, so pause, notice, question and reflect. So it's a skill based thing that we can actually do to start maybe challenging our thinking that maybe my thoughts aren't facts. Maybe actually I could have a different perspective on that. And I think perspective is such a huge word because I think how I might see something and how you might see it are completely different. And that bit of being able to question and challenge our thoughts, uh, that's for me anyway, when I think about the thinking, I'm not sure if it's the same for you. No, it is again. And you're right, Fergal, there. It's a huge piece on the day. And again, there's almost sort of an aha moment there where people actually realise that they have a choice maybe around, maybe not the thoughts come in, but actually what we do, how we react, how we respond to them. So that idea of actually slowing down and noticing that just because we have a thought doesn't mean that it's real. Some thoughts are facts, but a lot of thoughts that we have are our own interpretation of the situation. And that's really important to try and stress because all of a sudden you think, okay, well then I'm assuming maybe or I'm mind reading that that's what you think of me or whatever. So, yeah, it's quite a powerful piece in the day. And also as part of that piece, I suppose, we introduce the whole area of mindfulness. Okay, and there's a mindfulness practice at this stage of the day. And really, that's an opportunity for people to try out mindfulness. Some participants will have tried it before. And also by going through the practice of mindfulness, they get a sense of what can actually happen to our thoughts when we use mindfulness. And with doing that, it also helps them to be more present and in the moment on the day itself. Okay, and mindfulness, again, is a really powerful tool that is accessible to us all, costs nothing and it is with us wherever we go. So it's accessible to us at all times. But again, like our other self-care practices on a regular basis. What's people's reaction to you bringing in mindfulness and doing that little mindfulness practice? You know what? People are generally really open to it. I was sort of wondering, God, how will this go down? Particularly if it's other people saying, oh, my God, here we go. Just sort of sit still and here we go again. Because again, I suppose no more than well-being, mindfulness is a word that it sort of tends to be bandied about a lot. 
And again, I think the reality of the benefits of it are totally understated. Yeah. And like we said, back to using it on a regular basis, the impact it has on things like depression, on anxiety, on our physical health with regard to our heart rate, our immunity, high blood pressure. The research shows is really, really positive if it's done on a regular basis. And that might just be for 10 minutes a day. And it is developing that habit again. But I suppose the impact of it can be so profound for people and it is accessible. And I suppose in the Western world, we're not as familiar or as comfortable with using it as they are in, in the Eastern world. So I suppose it's a, it's a fairly new phenomenon, really, in the Western world. Yeah, we're still normalizing so it. We're still normalizing it. Yeah. But actually, that notion of slowing down, connecting in with ourselves, a lot of people after the session would sort of say, you know, gosh, that chance to slow down made me really sort of when we maybe focus on our breath, that sense of appreciation and gratitude for smaller things, that sense of letting go of the past, forgetting about the future and just sitting in the moment can really allow us to almost have a sense of gratitude for being alive itself, you yeah. know, and that then obviously influences on our, our positive emotions and enhances them. There's a few other mindfulness exercises that we might use during the day, depending if the weather was nice, we might do some mindful movement outside. And again, that's exposing people to the power of nature and the power of the natural world or some mindful colouring. And again, just to give people an opportunity to try out a few different things so that they found sitting difficult, that maybe they might do something that might just sit with them a little bit better. Great. This might be the first time people have practically been introduced to that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because often we ask, what do you mean by mindfulness? Yeah. You know, before you come in with some kind of a definition in relation to it. And a lot of people, oh, I don't practice it. And a lot of the time when we actually tease that out a little bit, it's like, actually, they're mindful doing something. An example could be your cu cup of coffee in the morning. Like, do you feel your cup of coffee in the morning? Do you taste it? Do you smell it? Sometimes, like with language, it can seem like all oh, far reaching and all oh, mindfulness and dismiss it. Actually, let's pair it back a little bit. And even if we're in the present moment doing something, so it's the tuning in rather than tuning out. Yeah. So I think there's a lot around let's not get caught in that. It's like, oh, so if we're paying attention, because I think the colouring one can be quite interesting for people because I think it might be childish, as we mentioned earlier, in some way. And actually them getting a chance, oh, like I actually... To colour in something. To colour in it's something, yeah. Or like, so just noticing, just smiling as you yeah. do it. Well, I've seen colouring books being given out as like a self-help aid or yeah. mindfulness practice, even yeah. at your desk. Yeah, like again, it's giving people the experience of it rather than thinking, oh, I won't do this. Because a lot of the time as adults, we put ourselves back in boxes like, oh, no, I'm not good at art or I can't. I'll be outside the lines. No. Yeah, <laughs> oh, imagine being outside the lines. Wouldn't that be awful? And I'm just noticing that we're kind of laughing a little bit here in relation to it because a sense of humour around our well-being is hugely important. Can we just see how we go with it? I think sometimes the colouring bit is can be like realising it's like maybe I just tune into what I'm doing at the moment. and I don't get caught with anything else and I can bring myself back because people often can say, oh, I don't do mindfulness or I can't do it. And that bit is like, it's a practice. It's just like, ah, oh, can we come back with gentleness to ourselves, to whatever we're doing, whether that's brushing our teeth or sitting down for a couple of minutes. It's like, ah, oh, so that's what I'm doing right now and laughing. Yeah. And if it's not for you, that's OK, too, because the whole thing about mind and your well-being is it's different for everyone. So if mindfulness or be down fresh air isn't for you, there might be something else that you do. So you're developing your toolkit around minding your well-being and each of us will be so different with that yeah i like what you said there about tuning in 
or oh, this is what I'm doing right now. I love those phrases. You know, you're really trying to center your thinking and yourself, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think even by sometimes even saying those things to ourselves, when we're trying to be mindful or trying to be present like that, oh, I'm having my cup of coffee now or I'm brushing my teeth now, even having that language in your head, it almost helps to bring you present as well. So that can be useful thing, I suppose, a useful tip for the participants to hear as well, so that it's not something abstract and out there that doesn't suit them. But all of a sudden, okay. maybe it can. I want to ask you about emotions. You just mentioned it there about like we need to feel and experience and appreciate our emotions to have good mental health. So the piece around exploring emotions and how, you know, where do we start with all that is again like, yeah, we need these guys. These are this is good stuff. Let's name a, a bit around that. Start with the language and acknowledge it. Is that where you go? Well, because a lot of the time in Ireland when we ask people how you are, what's the usual response? Grand, okay, fine, yeah, which tells us sweet FA and it's not telling our bodies anything because the whole purpose of emotions is about that ability to react to something. So if I'm fearful, then the purpose is so that I might run or I might react or respond in a different way. So around our emotions, I think there's a lot about actually pausing and how am I actually feeling? A lot of the time when we look at the vocabulary around emotions, like a lot of people have very few as adults. I think children are actually probably getting a little bit better with it around emotional literacy. But is we have very few words in relation to our emotions. So it's even around bringing our awareness to actually how am I now? Am I hungry or am I cranky? Am I, you know, what, what actually am I now? Maybe actually I need a sandwich or am I scared here or do I act sad? You know, so it's really about again that bit of pausing and noticing how actually am I and what I might need in that moment because I think around the emotions as well it can be that bit of about identifying the feelings and putting a word or a phrase on them and I think that's for me anyway when I'm thinking about it is I bring it back to getting a sense of what they're feeling and what I might need in that moment. For me it's about recognizing a positive emotion when you're experiencing it and going isn't this sweet? You know, nearly doing a bit of savouring of going oh. like, this is, it's like eating the cake and not just eating it down going, yeah, this is delicious cake. And that's actually really important to do the word that you use there, savouring. Because actually when we experience an emotion in the moment, so we're having a joyful moment, life is good and things are good at that time. But when we actually remember that moment later in the day or if we share that experience with somebody else, tell them about this great time you had earlier on in the day or a great holiday or whatever it is you're enhancing your positive emotions all over again. So savoring emotions is a really good way of actually increasing our positive emotions and therefore increasing our well-being as well. So it's not just about in the moment, but that notion of telling the stories again, reminiscing, recounting it, whatever it is, writing it down. That's another way of enhancing our positive emotions. So it's quite powerful. And often when we have to sort of work at maybe increasing those positive emotions, that's a really, really good way to do it. So flipping that, like yeah. being able to recognize those really challenging emotions. I was just laughing yesterday that the car broke down on the way to work and I was rushing. I was behind with one or two things that, you know, was stressed anyway. And then the car breaks down and you just feel yourself, oh, this is a stressful day now. It's even interesting what you just said there, Fergal. It's like, oh, so it's a stressful day rather than actually, OK, one thing happened in your day that wasn't great. And I think it is noticing whatever you felt, which might have been a range of emotions at that time and realizing like for different people, like it can be stress, it could be anger, it could be sadness, depending on what's yeah. challenging for you. But again, it's that ability to 
sense it and feel it and know if we feel an emotion emotions are transient they're coming and going all the time and layered so it's like also oh, i might, might have been agitation yesterday and then it might have been something else it's like knowing that actually my whole day isn't a stressful day it's like a moment in my day when i was angry and something else will come in because i often use the analogy of the waves you know what ones are we surfing right now? It's like, oh, so I might really be enjoying this. Something else is going to come in, you know. So everything is moving. Yeah. There's a transience to it all. The good and the bad and the ugly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that something that kind of supports that is about choosing how we react and respond in those. Because a lot of the time, if we're not aware of them, we're reacting out of it. You yeah, know, yeah, rather, yeah, yeah. or sorry, we're re- <laughs> reacting rather than responding. Thank you. That's why. <laughs> and I think that can be really important because I know when I think about it, sometimes I can be really quick with something. And actually, maybe that isn't the bit. So if I can take that bit of a pause mm-hmm. and I know that in groups that can be really important for people is like, ah, oh, Actually, I have a choice here. That's within my control because around minding our well-being in general is really important that what's within our control. Where do I have choices that I can make with this? And around our emotions and any of the topics that we're talking about today, that's within our control. Some aspects of that are within our control. Lots of them might be outside of it. But actually, if I can slow things down a little bit, I can notice my emotions. I can notice my thoughts and then I can choose how I want to respond or do things in a different way. Every time you say respond there, I think of that angry response to a WhatsApp message Mm. in a group or Mm. getting onto Facebook or Mm. write an email response. Feel the stress, feel the I have something to say about this. Get it out. Get it out. Yeah. When that's not the best way to do it. I think when you respond like that, I suppose it's, it's more of a reaction and it's highly emotive. Yeah. So by actually slowing it down and again, a little bit like the thoughts, by giving yourself a chance just to pull back a little bit, looking at what's happening and by allowing that time, it actually allows the logical brain to kick in, you know, so that you're not coming, you're not reacting from a really emotive space all the time. And I think another thing just in relation to our emotions as well that we focus on during the training is our emotions. We often hold them in our body. And often sort of come out at another time in our life as almost a disease or an illness. We often hold a lot of stress, a lot of strain in our shoulders, our neck, things like that. So to be very aware of what's going on, you know, because while it is a an emotive response, we're actually also feeling it in our physical body as well. OK, but I suppose that one of the key messages that you're given in this section, I've heard it in the video a good few times around, we can increase our positive emotion. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's hugely important. That's hugely, hugely important to important. land with people. It uh, is, you know, it is. And that we are wired towards a negative bias. So yes. our negative emotions tend to hang around. They linger. If things have gone bad, they tend to sit with us that much longer rather than the happier moments just tend to be a little bit more fleeting. So that's a really good reason for us to be working hard on increasing those positive emotions. We've mentioned before about savoring those emotions when we have those experience. Another really good way of increasing those positive emotions is gratitude. And there's a whole science around how gratitude can really enhance our positive emotions. And especially if we do something about that sense of gratefulness. So whether it is to another person that we have a sense of gratitude, that we do something to share that, to express it. So that not only are they benefiting from hearing it, but you as the giver are really benefiting from it. So whether that's even through a text message, whether it is through a phone call, whether it is through a letter, whatever it is, but some way of expressing that 
it really enhances our positive emotions. Again, a very simple act. Being thankful to somebody else. Being thankful to somebody else and expressing it. Expressing it just heightens the emotions. It's a gift for them the and a gift for you. That's what Absolutely. You're oh, yeah, and yeah. actually, you probably benefit more than the person you actually give it to. Yeah. So really, really important. Or even just that sense. And I suppose mindfulness as well. That notion of when we do slow things down, we get a sense of perspective, but also we get a sense of noticing the smaller things. Okay, so whether it is the cup of coffee, whether it is the sunrise, whatever it is. But when we start to slow things down and we're in the moment, that sense of gratefulness appears. I also think around when we experience challenging emotions it and it's linked back to the kind of the definition around coping. We realize that actually we can cope with things because if we link this back to our thoughts, sometimes we're so fearful of certain things. Actually, when we experience it, it often isn't as bad as we might think it can be. So there's a lot around, you know, challenging is actually noticing is that actually I can cope with this. And if we remember what we were talking about earlier around the definition, that's that ability to cope again. So if we can experience something, feel it and realize, actually, I'm not drowning in this. I'm okay. This too will pass. That actually then we can cope and bring it back to our overall well-being again. Yeah, set yourself some actions and move on. Yeah. Mm. And it links then, like, and we might be talking about this later, but the five ways of well-being as well. And we've been talking about those a lot, but sometimes, and it's not that I'm a research head, but I think it's really important to realize that there is a lot of evidence in relation to lots of what we're talking about. So like the five ways of well-being and talks about like the things that we've been talking about around, you know, connecting, keep learning, giving, taking notice and being active. But that, again, is backed up with research. It's not that we're just randomly picking these things. Nice things to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's like that was around from the Economics Association. But it's like, actually, they're really important. And we can see that Mental Health Ireland are doing them. These things have an impact. Pennsylvania University have a whole master's program in relation to this that has evidence in relation to actually these things have an impact when we actually purposely engage with them. One of the ones that we mightn't like, and I think that was when you said about the giving, Anne-Marie, I think sometimes we can forget. So volunteering will be very strong in Ireland as a thing, but it can be as simple as a compliment. Like, thank you. Thank you for the cup of coffee. I always think the tokens, you know, at shopping, or, you know, when you're doing your shopping and stuff. And like the joy, I'm just noticing we've all smiled there because we can remember a time when we might have done that or we received it. So there's something in the simple acts or random acts of kindness that can just have a really big impact on our emotions, our thoughts, and then ultimately our overall well-being. Because it's all linked. We're not yeah, just... Yeah. The links, sometimes I feel like we end up tripping on ourselves through the mind and the well-being because there is so many links across. Like the next piece there around building positive relationships. Like we've talked about connection before. We've talked about self-care you know, your relationship with yourself, basically. But that relationship piece needs to be emphasized as well. While there's connection, we need to kind of zone in on a couple of these areas really to bring focus to it, don't we? Yeah, and I think relationships, it's a really important part of the day. And even Dr. Martin Seligman would have said that relationships are the single most important contributor to well-being and happiness. So that's really important. So how we are with ourselves, how we are with other people that we meet, is really key to our mental health and well-being. Okay, so paying attention 
pay and focus and real attention during the programme. We do give people time to think about the relationships within their own life and also to think about what what's the communication like in those relationships. Is there a lot of attention given or is it a lot of to-do lists? You know, have you the shoes? Where's the shoes? Where's the school bag? Where's whatever? So that notion of actually giving maybe even just short periods of really focused attention, focusing on quality. And often when the participants do reflect by themselves on somebody special within their own life, they often come back and say, gosh, I really want to tell that person something or I really want to share something else with that or that's something I really want to focus on. I remember one dad in one of the programs saying that he looked over to his son and he was on the iPad and he said, my first reaction was, oh, my God, would you get off that? It's not screen time. And for some reason, he said he stopped himself and he said the son came over to him and said, Dad, look, I'm after finding a way to help me with my multiplication tables because I'm really struggling with them in school. And the dad said his emotion went from one of being frustration and annoyed to a sense of pride in what his young lad had done. And he said because of the way he responded to it, the moment was savoured. And that relationship was in, was enhanced rather than just sort of again reacting to it. And John Kabat-Zinn would say as well, and I think this is really interesting, wherever you go, there you are. So no matter what situation changes, you're bringing yourself to that situation. So that sense of actually being in a good place yourself, looking after your own relationship with yourself to start with is really important. And that's back to all the self-care work that we spoke about. Do you think there's a concern about that? I can really appreciate that father's concern when he sees this, the iPad or the screen time. It's definitely a stressor in a lot of parents' lives. Is that a concern that as adults we're on screens yeah. too much and then children yeah. are being kind of reminding our kids on technology sometimes? Well, it comes up a lot in the groups, you know, when we talk and Marie just mentioned there, because when we bring our attention, again, we're just noticing, oh, what are the significant relationships? It'd be my family, friends, colleagues. And actually, am I investing any kind of time in that? And again, what often ends up coming up is the impact then of technology. We have to name it. It's like having an impact on relationships. What comes up a lot, and it comes up on the video as well, is so if the three of us were here and our phones were out, we're aware of them, even if they're on silent or, you know, because, oh, it might bleep or we might see it flashing. Because, again, our attention is diverted. So if we're investing in a relationship or a friendship, is actually giving that dedicated time to it. Is that bit without the barriers? And I think what is also emerging in relation to this field about relationship is kind of like even what are the relationships we're valuing or focusing our attention on? Are they the thousand friends you have on Twitter or your followers or where again are actually my relationship with my grandparents or my relationship with my friends? Actually, oh, I get to see them every now and again, but every evening I'm on on Facebook or doing whatever. And I think it is important, and I know we're saying a lot about ourselves, but if we can start there, then we're noticing, are we listening to ourselves? Because if we're listening to ourselves, it can be easier to communicate and listen to another and seeing actually, God, do I give that time? So being a good friend to yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, No, that's great. Encouraging people to think where they need to resource their time for their own mental well-being and for other people's mental well-being. So to push on towards the end, you kind of bring everything together under the resilience banner. And resilience is another word that I would have been kind of skeptical about in the past. You know, I thought, here's another word for a lot of the same things. But to kind of lean into the word resilience and to see that it is a combination of factors, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And really, I suppose 
when we think about resilience, even if we started to change the word, it's really about our ability to bounce back. It's our ability to cope with everyday stressors. It's the ability also to thrive and to push ourselves. So it's not just about being okay with what's going on, being able to let go of what has ever happened in the past, manage yourself in the moment. But it's also about pushing and challenging ourselves in the future as well. And I think sometimes when we, when we think about resilience, maybe we don't think about that element of it. So it's that notion of being able to sort of say, God, you know what? I'm up for the risk. I'm up for giving the new job a shot or whatever, feeling that good enough about yourself. And that's really important. So the resilience is nearly like what you get out of. If you take on the messages of the Mind and Wellbeing videos, it's the resilience you're trying to build up. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, again, resilience, like well-being, is something that can be fluid, but it can be something that we can work on and that we can build on. Yeah, and I think a part, and you'll see this in on the videos and in the booklet as well, is that we talk about the building blocks of resilience. Because we often can say that, oh, someone is resilient. Mm. Actually, what does resilience mean? Like one of the key components is that bit about empathy. And That's the word I was going to mention oh. to you, actually, yeah, because <laughs> that, that just jumps out for me. Like we've talked about a lot of the other words, mm. but empathy. And it just came up recently on the podcast with Martin Beans Ward. He kept using that word in relation to how you deal with other people. So how do you use it? Yeah, like what we do in the group activity there is that they get a chance to look at each of the building blocks. And what does empathy mean and how might that support resilience? Because we're resilient. It, it isn't that everything's going to be brilliant, like oh, someone's resilient. Everything is great. But it allows us the skills to challenge and to deal with what actually is. So like within some of the building blocks, it's like the problem solving skills. So when we talk about the empathy, it's like, well, how if we're in that person's shoes, how might that be? And it's really then because if we can put ourselves in that space, then we're like, oh, OK, so what might I be able to do from there? What might I need from there? It's that bit of being able to put ourselves there and see what can we do to thrive? Because I think that's such a fabulous word. But I think some of the other building blocks is that realistic thinking. You know, I know we've talked a little bit about thinking. If I'm being the good enough me, what realistically is good enough for me in that? And that links in, I think, to optimism. It kind of links into, as we said earlier, kind of our sense of humour. But it also brings us back to our self-control and our sense of ourselves, because this is a part maybe as Irish people and I'm, I'm generalizing. We also look at our strengths and what we actually are bringing to the table for ourselves. And we talk about it as our tree of strengths. And actually, what do we actually own as our characteristics and our values that we bring with us in our everyday lives? And I think this can often be a struggle. And I don't know if you find, Amory, is that for lots of groups, it's like they find that really challenging is to name what about me? And I'm aware of that action because it's coming back. And what exactly about me do I bring into my life? You're pulling them right into their self-esteem and self-confidence. Huge. They're going like, huge, huge. Put a magnifying glass on this. Yeah. And we can do that by breaking it down, looking at what does a value mean? What is a personal attribute? So am I kind of trustworthy? Am I a team player? Am I honest, kind? Like we're bringing it down to things that can be seen. Would I say that about myself? And I think it links back to this bit that you said earlier, Amory, around the relationships, because we can be really good friends to other people. But if we can do that for ourselves and relate and name the things that really are important to us, 
that can be hugely important for our self-belief in ourselves, which ultimately is around making us resilient, but also our ability then that links back in again with our emotions, our thinking and ultimately, and I know I keep doing it because I think it really is that we're not just randomly picking things here. These are evidence based that can have a really huge impact on how we live our lives and how we love our lives. I I think that's just really important. And they're all connected as well. So there's none of them sort of standing on their own they're all and when we're talking about our own self-belief we also focus on the limiting beliefs because often sometimes our beliefs are messages that we have received experience that we've received down through our life and they're part of us and they're ingrained in us and unless we start to challenge those beliefs and we start to consider if they serve us well or not we don't do anything about them and sometimes there might be limiting beliefs like oh god I wouldn't have a hope of getting that job so all of a sudden you're, you're not going to even go for it. So actually starting to challenge those beliefs. And that's I suppose that's part of something that we delve into when we're looking at resilience as well. OK, there's so many messages there. I just want to highlight for people where they can access these videos are available mm-hmm. on yourmentalhealth.ie or on our HD Health and Wellbeing YouTube channel. And the booklet itself is a beautiful resource. I just want to highlight it to people that you can order this resource or you, you can connect with us here at healthandwellbeing.communications at hse.e if you want to learn more about the program or want to get a copy of that resource. But the booklet is great for everybody. It's a little self-care workbook, isn't it? We use it as part of the training more because it's a lot around the reflection piece, but it yeah. can be really useful to go back in because there are also tools and exercises in it. Yeah, so it's really useful and it links the five sections of the Minding Your Wellbeing. So it's all broken down in that. And it also has that signposting bit as well, because like if you Google wellbeing, we could go anywhere with that. So what does that mean when I'm at home in my sofa at nine o'clock at night? Where am I going to go with that? So I think appropriate signposting can be really important in relation to this. And that can be everything from yourmentalhealth.ie. But I also think on a local level, like this is things like our social prescribing services Mm -hmm. that are available locally. And I know you've had the podcast on that, but it's also about things that are actually available that I can actually do that are reliable sources as well. You know, sometimes people can go down different rabbit holes and actually, okay, bringing it back. So I think our own websites can be really important around that area around well-being and the booklet can be a really useful resource because I think what we said at the beginning as well is when you're looking at well-being if this is a new area for you you might go oh that seems really big or there seems a lot in it so it's all about how we can make small realistic steps on that that are achievable you can feel good in that I've achieved something I've set a goal I've achieved that and I've ultimately experienced it so I think it can be really useful the resource has a signposting bit and talks about some of the stuff that we've been talking about today in terms of the five ways of well-being. We'll include links to that in the podcast information on the channels and the other thing I wanted to ask you before we finish up here is like who who do you think this isn't for like is this for everybody like there's nothing in here that isn't all good grounded stuff is that how you see it it's an open door into this content isn't there? Yeah everybody can get something out of this and I think because there is an opportunity for people to bring it back to themselves through the resource, through the workbook, working through it during the day, people take what they want or what they need out of it. I suppose, look at the language is simple. The way it's delivered is very, we'd like to think it's very friendly, very hopeful, very inclusive and very welcoming. So I think it is a program that is for everybody.
Great. Is it for everyone? Because I think when we think about our well-being, it's like just another element of how important it is. Our mental health, we need it for our physical health. So we all have it. So it's for everyone. It's a fundamental kind of grounding. It's like, ah, oh, so we're doing lots of things around our physical health. So this is the grounding that we look at around our mental health and our well-being. So I really feel it's hugely important to emphasize that with people. This is the thing that we invest in, that we're worth it, that actually doing these things can have a big impact on our lives. That's great. That's a very simple way to finish it up. We've spoken about so many things there. I would really encourage the listeners to give a bit of time to the program. As we said, do the video content. If you had the opportunity to do it face to face, if you want to get in touch to find out more, please do. And I'd like to thank our guests today, Anne-Marie and Olive, for their time and input. Really interesting. And thanks for sharing your experience. And thanks to you, the listeners, for listening to another episode of the HSC Talk and Health and Wellbeing.